gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space i'm your regular host scott weatherly and as always i'm joined by julian darius julian how are you doing i'm doing i'm doing well i'm ready to uh report for duty and i'll have you know that i'm a major even if i look 12 <laughs> damn it i'm taking that straight off the list uh, <laughs> yeah yeah no, I'm, I'm, um We'll jump into it in a minute. You put me off guard with that one. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm glad you. Were. I'm glad it's good. We're, we're getting to, this is the last episode of uh, season two. Um, we've been through some ups and downs. I think generally we've sort of enjoyed uh, pretty much everything that we've watched. You know, we've we've had some questions and some criticisms. Um, this may be the first one this season where we we do. I don't know strongly, but maybe disagree about about a film. This is uh, let's fight. Yeah, I think it makes for a good episode. It does. It will. <laughs> um, this episode, we are going to be covering uh, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, uh, twenty seventeen, uh, written and directed by Luc Besson, uh, based on the comics of Pierre Christen and Jean Claude Mazia. Mazere, I'm going to pronounce that terribly. Um, starring Dane DeHaan. Cara Delevingne, Clive Owen, Rihanna, and Ethan Hawke. Simple story. Uh, <laughs> Is it? <laughs> plot synopsis. Uh, Dane DeHaan plays uh, Valerian, or Major Valerian, um, clearly on a quick path to promotion. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a, a, a government agent for, uh, I'm not entirely sure what government, of, the, of, of Alpha, which is possibly the or the, the Earth Federation, Human Federation. Yeah, I think it's the like United Human Federation. <laughs> yeah, which is something I'm going to be bringing up. Yes, um, I expect uh, so. And uh, he is sent on a mission to when basically a part of Alpha, which is like a, a space station, uh, becomes uninhabitable. There is something in this in the this space station that is uh, growing, which they call. Um, it's like a, a, a concentrated evil at one point, and the mystery is what the hell has this got to do with a dream that Valerian had at the start of the film? Uh, not much to be fair, in, in, in all honesty, it does and it, it sort of does, but it sort of like didn't need to happen at all. <laughs> well, I, I disagree with that right away. Uh, <laughs> I think that you know, so first of all, I mean, the plot, I would say. The plot starts with, you know, essentially Valerian has this this dream, uh, but then he's the first mission is to collect this uh, this animal that somehow is able to replicate devices. Mm. Right. It's like the Star Trek replicator, but yeah. it's organic, which is a cool idea. Mm. And, you know, there's this like VR thing that the episode that's kind of like got problems and that's your in to what is their usual missions like. But then apparently they're supposed to take it to Alpha 
the space station that has just grown and grown as different aliens have have uh, joined it. And it's a little like, uh, you know, if you remember Green Lantern Mosaic, where they have like all these different alien cultures side by side and they're living together and it's chaotic. And then they encounter this conspiracy and this area that they can't go into. And it all is connected to his dream. And I, I and I think it is connected, right? I mean, it is it the is. aliens it, from the dream, and you find yeah. out what's happened to them since. But I, it, it is. But the fact that I say the dream sequence, I'm not so bothered about because the dreams it could have just been a flashback. But my, my problem is, and we'll get into it because there's some other bits in this film. We're jumping ahead a little bit, but the fact that he has that dream, and it's then divulged that uh, there's a character within that dream who's a princess. Uh, let's just call her Pocahontas for the uh, for <laughs> for the sake of it, because th- this has got some incredible. I'm going to get into the themes of this, uh, when we get into it, but... <laughs> but yeah, it, um, she basically comes back that she has possessed him in some way through sort of again through time and space. Again, I kind of like some of the bits and pieces. Some of the ideas in this are really good, Like there's some really cool sci-fi ideas. But the fact of the matter is, like her possessing him or giving him something doesn't seem to amount to much. Mm-hmm. Like it gives him some sort of a level of maybe empathy and compassion towards uh, the alien race that you know when we find the, the climax and how they're trying to sort of like regain their their um, uh, their race and regain their planet and all at least their way of life. Um, and I'm, I'm okay. I can sort of that, but that doesn't even pan out because it's, then he says, "Well, I'm actually more committed to duty than to this thing that's given him empathy and all this other stuff." So it doesn't do. It, it seems like a catalyst in order to give you a flashback, and that's about it. Yeah, there's some kind of like overtones of how you know a sort of like almost uh, trans issues of Valerian. We'll get into it, like gender. Like I mean, this movie is very gendered in interesting ways. Um, but he does have this, you know, female princess, mm-hmm. her soul living inside him through the whole movie. And it's sort of released. And, yeah, it doesn't really amount to a lot at the end there. It's just an idea. And I think that the thing about this movie is um, I feel like it's Star Wars on acid. Um, we talked yeah. about, like, uh, Meta Barons and mm. how, like, Meta Barons has, like, an idea every page and if you don't like an idea, chill out. You're going to get to the yeah. next page and there's going to be another idea. And this movie is so like that. Like, I mean, the amount of just manic uh, fever dream compression of ideas minute by minute. Some don't work. Some are beautiful. Most don't really work in the sense mm. that they're not integrated into the universe in a convincing way. But there's still cool ideas and there's a cool visual attached. And you are just on a roller coaster ride of caffeine and hallucinogens. Oh, yeah. No, no the, the, first and foremost, the visuals in this film are stunning. Like, if you're mm. going to watch this film, if you are going to watch this film, like, watch it on the biggest screen possible. You know, I'm, you know if you watch it on Blu ray or like, high def, even in 4K, I'm, this film um, is a visual feast. Like everything down to like the like not just the CGI because you know the the opening sequence is all obviously you know it's computer animated and it looks amazing, but even the costuming throughout mm-hmm. the costuming in this is awesome, and I, I one of the things I love about Luc Besson, you know having I'm, I'm a big fan of um, uh, Fifth Element, 
and I love the fact that he has he obviously has a very European sensibility being French. Like he he is gonna go out wild. And they do that in this film. Like there's some like mad costumes in this. And I love that. I do that's something I do love because it's like, yeah, it's four thousand years in the future. Why wouldn't you have that? Or why not? It's ridiculous, but fair play. Um <laughs> And again, like I said, the visuals. I'm, I'm just trying to sort of like the you say even with the trans thing. I'm sort of there was there's, you say that it has some interesting gender things, and it does because like, you have this idea of the soul being in in Valerian, but the, and even in the end, when you meet the chief of um, the alien species that you've met at the beginning of the film, um, it's acknowledged as being a he because they refer to the chief as a man. Mm-hmm. But the motion capture and the voice is provided by a female actress, which took me by surprise. I was like, oh, that's weird, but it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. However, before that, when they first find out that he has a, a female soul inside him, um, Valerian's partner, um, what's her name? It's played by Cara Delevingne. Loreline. Yeah. even makes a joke about, well, ladies first. And he's like, oh, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, I'm not sure if you're making fun of Valerian or stereotyping female roles. Like, you know, I was a bit like, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, I I don't know why you you isolate on that particular moment because I think this movie is so filled with <laughs> yeah. contradictions. gender contradictions. Yeah. Oh, oh, and contradictions in general, for sure. But I mean, you know, I mean. Okay, so, so let's back up. You know, the movie opens with, and and I will defend basically the first two sequences of this movie. If that if the movie ended there, I would say this is a nine or ten out of ten. Mm. Uh, the movie opens with uh, you know they they play ground control to Major Tom over what's basically a music video sequence that's kind of like you know the the opening credits of Enterprise where it's like we're <laughs> going into the future and then we meet up with the the Enterprise. Uh, where you see the space station being built and, you know, they welcome international cooperation like the Russians and then the Chinese mm-hmm. come and then there are Indian astronauts and and then an alien ship, <laughs> you know, like a giant alien ship has come to Earth and they greet the aliens and then they greet another set and another set and another set. And it's the same sort of like handshake repeated, but the alien designs, most of them are just on for two seconds, are some of those brilliant designs mm-hmm. I've ever seen. There's more good design work just in that sequence than in most celebrated, you know, blockbuster movies. And eventually the space station gets so big that, you know, this makes no sense. Its mass is so great, it's got to leave Earth and it just becomes like a floating moon sized kind of thing heading out there. But that intro sequence is like, I mean, it's so mind blowing. I remember seeing it on the big screen and just going, I don't know anything about this movie yet, <laughs> but I love this sequence. And then instead of cutting to Valerian and Lorelite, you cut to this, you know, the pearls on Planet Mule and no English. There's a yeah. few lines that are translated, but most isn't. And they have this culture that's built up around these, you know, pearls and these and these cute little animals that you would first think are pets, but are actually integral to their culture. And it is some of the most amazing, just beautiful work I've ever seen in a movie depicting an alien race. It is so totally alien uh, and, and yet also so beautiful, so intoxicating. And you watch their culture sort of be destroyed. Uh, 
and then you cut to Valerian. Up until the cut to Valerian, like I mean, I am just completely sold. The rest of this movie could be a dumpster fire, and I will still love it. And the rest of the movie is a dumpster fire. <laughs> but it's a dumpster fire filled with like amazing ideas and scenes. But I will say, like, that cut to Valerian is so rough for me. Because you mm. cut to Valerian and the dial, first of all, they look like little kids. And, you know, they're both beautiful. They've been chosen because they're beautiful. Um, but then the dialogue is like, you know, about how he's a player and yeah. he's been it, with a lot of girls and they refer to it as his playlist. And this, he's this trying to get Moraline where... to be with him. And none of that works. I mean, no. and, it, and it, the dialogue is bad. The acting is bad. And, and I just feel every bone in my body says, I want to go back to that yeah. stuff. This is, and as I said to you, before we started recording, like watch it this time. I remind it reminded me why I couldn't get through this the first time. That scene where you first are introduced, I'll go back to cover the, the opening scenes in a minute. But the that that opening scene, the first bit where you meet Valerian and Loreline, played by Dane DeHaan and, and Clara Delevingne, up to the, I watched it up to the point where they dock with Alpha, uh, the mm -hmm. space station, and it was at that point where I'm a bit like you. I'm like, I can't watch this. This is awful. And that's where I stopped and I dipped out. I was like, this is two and a half hours long. I can't give it <laughs> that, that amount of time. I'm sorry. Um, and uh, But you are totally right. The openings of this film, it lies to you because that scene where they meet all the aliens uh, and all, all the different races is both sort of like heartfelt and humorous. Like, you know, it feels... Um, it's, I mean, it's obviously told over a period of hundreds of years that these different species come into it. But like... The first one, the, the first one in particular, you know, they're sort of because they're in. It's there's no gravity. It's obviously the first, the International Space Station catching up with something else. It's, I think it's meant to be American and China, and they sort of hug, and then they sort of introduce more, and then you know it, it builds and builds, and then you first meet the alien, and it sort of he puts out his hand to shake, and they do the shake, and it almost becomes like instead of being an Earth tradition, it's almost like it becomes like the alpha welcome. Like, oh, okay, mm. you, you shake the hands of the commander of the station, which is quite cool. And it goes through and you see these commanders and some of them are a bit like, I've got, I've got to, I don't know how, how's this going to go? Like I can imagine it being like a nerve, like a yeah. nerve wracking situation. Like, it's a brand new species. I'm the first person to engage with them. And it's played in that well for like about a minute, and a half, two minutes, maybe even longer than that, but it's really good. And I'm like, okay, I'm digging this. This is cool. All right, maybe I'd, I'd forgotten about this bit. I'm so focused on that Dane DeHaan and, and Cara Delevingne. And then you get that sequence, which to me parallels, you know, could easily parallel uh, Avatar for sort of brilliance and stuff. Mm. Like, you know, the the CGI and motion capture, it's, it's obviously, I think, what, 10 years later, but the CGI and motion capture is great. The visuals are stunning. Uh, it's, it's their culture laid out in the simplest possible way, but it gives you everything. It's almost like a shorthand, you know, and some of it's a bit cheats and stuff. But like you said, there's no English. It's all visual. It's all sort of done through what they show you. But you understand everything. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe not the details, but you get enough to go, oh, okay, this is fascinating. And then, like you said, there's a big catastrophe. And all of a sudden, I'm like, yep, yeah, lost now. I have no idea what's going on at this point. Like, they climb into a shuttle, and then that seems to be taken away and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what's going on. And then I'm, I'm in my head, I'm going, I'm sure this will be explained. And it is, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But then it's the moment you jump into um, Valerian and Loreline, like you say, it's a hard left turn. Yes. And 
I, well, I, the the change in quality too. Um, I mean, like the most beautiful, the, the cool thing about the Katu Loreline and, and Valerian is just that they're in a VR. There's so much VR in this. I mean, the, yeah. the theme of surreality. Um, that beach where they're just like on this little tiny, tiny island that's maybe like 40 feet wide, uh, you know, and it's beautiful and they're beautiful. It's just the dialogue is terrible and the acting is terrible. But the change in quality from everything before that to that scene is so remarkable. I, I think that this is where the dialogue, the dialogue is clunky. It's really clunky. The two biggest problems I have is um, I, I don't want to I'm not going to dump on either of them as actors because I've seen them elsewhere and be good. Um they're just in the wrong film. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a film called uh, A Cure for Wellness, uh, which is a bit like a, a Lovecraftian psychological horror film that Dane DeHaan's in. And he's great. He's really good in it. He's really, it's really creepy, and it's really well done. Uh, and it's ace. Okay? So I've seen him do things, and he's good. Cara Delevingne, she's beautiful. She was a former model. You know, I've seen it in a couple of things where she's she's doing okay. She doesn't have much range, mm-hmm. and so unfortunately, both of them are so massively miscast <laughs> um, that when I'm watching it, there's no chemistry between them at all ever. Mm-hmm. This film is so sort of devoid of flirtatious or even friends, like you know. Um, any kind of friendship chemistry or anything, platonic chemistry or, or, or sort of, you know, sexual chemistry, none. Yet this whole thing of them dancing around whether or not they should be married, I'm like, I'm not sure if this is supposed to be a joke or is this a, an ongoing relationship? Like, it's wooden as hell. And this, yes. to me, was like, I know the dialogue's bad. However, we even in this, even in this season, we have watched films that we've gone, that was a good fun. The dialogue was crap, but that so-and-so person pulled it off. And I'm watching this and thinking, Dane DeHaan should be played by Chris Hemsworth or, you know, or Chris Pratt. So you need someone who's good-looking. And this not to say that Dane DeHaan isn't, I mean, he's not my type, you know, but you would want, if you were going to play this, especially play it as they, they seem to want to play it, which is, he's a bit of a, sort of like, he's brave and he's, he's Captain Kirk, mm-hmm. isn't he, basically? He's Kirk. Um, he's a he's a player. He's all about the sort of bravado, but he's got a heart of gold sort of thing. Like you want someone who can play that and play the lunkhead a little bit. Like I can see Chris Hemsworth pulling off that dialogue because he's got the comedy timing to do it. And then you need like a legitimately strong female presence who owns the screen to play Loreline. Mm-hmm. And if you would have if you had someone like. Um, I don't know. She's probably a bit too, a bit older than him now. But I'm thinking, who was it? Who was in uh, Max Mo- Ma- uh, uh, Mad Max Fury Road? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot. Uh, it's going to bother me now. Um, and there's others as well. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like even like Brie Larson or, um, you know, someone with a good, strong female lead presence could would, would pull it off because they could have that sort of sarcastic humor and um you know basically be strong enough to stand up to to Mm -hmm. uh valerian and sort of like yeah you know yeah no i so charlie's theron charlie's theron there you go yeah i mean brilliant actress um 
Yeah, I mean, so about the casting, I mean, I I think they're beautiful to look at. And so much of what, and, and I, and I, you know, the, the sort of, he epitomizes, I think, a sort of aesthetic of uh, sort of a skinny guy, sort of feminized features, uh, a, a very pretty form of masculinity. And I think that's very beautiful. I think that's a, that's a vision of the male physique that, mm. that, is a is a very beautiful vision and it syncs with you know the the film's display of the pearls the the you know aliens that we see that are all super thin there's a kind of aesthetic to this movie um but i always think okay so uh the original comics that inspired this were a huge influence on star wars mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he is han solo Mm. And if you imagine all of his dialogue delivered by a young Harrison Ford, it would all work. Exactly. It would work great. And you could imagine him as the rugged kind of womanizer, you know, who's brave and kind of, you know, yeah, he does what he's told, but he plays it a little fast and loose. And but I can't believe that this guy is that kind of womanizer. He's the kind you know, I want to see him on the Paris runway. I don't. I, I can't imagine. You know. Also, like, he. They both look twenty. You know. Maybe yeah. I'm old, but they both look like they're twenty. And one's a major, and one's a sergeant, and they don't have any. You know. I object in so many movies where they just introduce like, um, you know, like the last Predator movie, where it's like, mm. nah, that guy is not a soldier. Okay, that guy did not do two tours in Iraq. Yeah. He does not walk that way. Um. Not to be stereotypical, but, you know, there is a sort of like I've seen fire, I've seen rain Mm. kind of presence that neither of them have. Mm. Um, But I always I mean, watching it again, you know, thinking of a young Harrison Ford in this movie, if you could go back in time, he'd be perfect. Mm. He would pull this off fantastically. I, no, I agree, and that's the saying, and that's the sort of presence I think you want. And in saying that, I was thinking, okay, if you, you know, maybe have to age up because she was so young, but then you go, okay, that's where Leia comes from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the, the sequence where she, you know where they have their argument on Hoth, and he's about, you know, when he's about to leave and stuff, like that's the that's the chemistry you'd want for Valerian and uh, Loreline. That's what I'm expecting. None of that exists in this film, and that's where I struggle with this film so much. Because um, the other thing as well is with Lorelai. Lorelai's a really interesting character in this film, or she could have been and should have been, because there's moments when she is badass. Like, there's moments, there's, some, there's a great moment um, where, and again, like the, you know, the fight choreography is pretty good in this. There's some interesting, there's some really well-done bits, some great ideas I'll get to in a bit, but she, they're, they're being sort of, like, arrested and... Um, uh, they've lost Valerian somewhere in, in Alpha. And so she's been taken into custody and they haven't cuffed her. And she says, you should probably cuff me because I've got a strong urge to escape. And they're sort of like, oh, okay. And then the way they go to cuff, the, cuff her, she beats them up and escapes. And she's like, you know, bad luck, guys. That whole scene, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, she's really cool. Like, she should be able to, she can handle herself. And then later on, she is literally put into a wedding dress and then sits, sits there screaming for Valerian. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, make up your mind. Like, is she supposed to be the strong, independent woman, or is she supposed to be the damsel in distress? Like, she's one or the other. She, but from scene to scene, she seems to want they want her to, or need her to fill both. But again, it, I mean, it doesn't need to be that way. The, the scene towards the end, she's captured, 
and she is literally being served up as a f- uh, as food. And uh, again, it's it's it looks great. It's quite funny. She's having lemon drizzled over her head, and her head's about to be cut open. Oh, I think it's brilliantly done. Uh, yeah, but then yeah. she starts screaming for Valerian. I'm thinking again, yeah. like, no, no, no. Like she would. Even I'm thinking, like, she wouldn't do that. Well, I mean, she's also fought with him. She has, a, you know, like you pointed to that sort of badass action sequence. Mm. She has defied orders and found him and saved his life. And then uh, then he instantly assumes this kind of like, oh, OK, I'm back in the masculine in charge role. Um, but I think I, I think this movie is confused and fascinatingly confused in terms mm. of its gender politics mm-hmm. that, you know, he is proposing marriage to her when you first meet them. It doesn't really make sense. You don't, there's no indication that they previously had a relationship. He seems very bound up in sort of traditional masculine values. You know, he wants to be, we're told he's courageous. We're told he's a womanizer. Um, It's kind of hard to believe, but we're told those things. He defies orders yet, at the end, wants to give, you know, wants to take the creature and follow orders. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't like, like you mentioned, that he's teased that having a woman inside him, you know, ha ha, you know, role reversal. He doesn't like that. Uh, she, on the other hand, you know, was, all, I mean, in the comics, she's, she's a strong character. But there is a sort of, my feeling is always that there's a vestige of, earlier kind of like French machismo Mm. uh, in this movie that then there's a layer of, no, 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 we got to make her strong, you know, make her beat some people up. You know, I mean, she is a very strong character who, as you say, reverts to kind of damsel in distress in the next scene. And the, and the movie is, I mean, you know, one, I think one of the worst aspects of this movie is that it ends with that terrible song about like, be a man, be a man, I gotta be a man, which it's basically the same ending as The Fifth Element, which I'm also (laughs) a big fan of, where, you know, the couple has sex, uh, secluded from the rest of the world, except there's less chemistry here. Um, But, you know, it's interesting, it works, and instead of cutting to like a a little light, which is a great song, you cut to be a man, which Mm. again, underlying, like, Okay, so is being a man part of his problem, you know, that he can't let go of this this macho bullshit? And obviously she's just as capable as he is, um, except when she's not. I, I don't know. There's It's like there's a layer of not just, not just feminist uh, politics, but also a layer of sort of commercial blockbusters. Uh, you know, especially that action sequence. It's like, oh, that's Black Widow. Oh, that's, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen that before. I kind of hate those, you know, oh, I'm badass kind of scenes, but it's one, it's done well. Um, But I do feel as if, so I think that the gender politics are infected by sort of, you know, it has this weird layering where I'm not sure if the original layer would have been better to commit to or the revised sort of more Mm -hmm. feminist layer, be consistent, would have been better. I don't know. It's what what I find most bizarre about this, though. And <clears throat> in fact, the two things is well, firstly, the in, it's not just the inconsistency of the gender politics; it's the inconsistencies of the characters themselves. Because there's a great that there's a scene at the beginning which is sort of um, you know it's the typical thing of like here's how the team works successfully. 
here's the successful heist so that when we do the other action, you can sort of make the comparison. So they go to a market, which is an interdimensional market, which, again, great idea. Right. right. Awesome. You know, you have to wear this headgear to see it and it basically and these gloves to touch things. And then you have to pass it through a machine for it to enter our dimension so that you can take it home. Um, apart from the fact that the scene is loaded, like is it probably about 20 minutes? I don't know how long it is, but it's it's too long because not only are you following the heroes, you get the exposition dump by basically having tourists taken to it. Um, which could easily have been done a different way, but like it just lasts too long, and you're following this sort of atypical tourist co- uh, couple that buy a bunch of crap. But I love the idea, and I love the you know some of the stuff that goes with it, and the scene works really well to an extent because it ends with Valerian sort of like you know holding up uh, a transaction between the the, the aliens from Mule, Planet Mule and this thing voiced by I think by John Goodman, which it is, sounds you know, like him, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm always happy when John Goodman gets work because I think he's ace. But um, uh, so watch, so watching that, and I'm like, okay, this is all going well. And then it sort of breaks. And yeah, there's this idea of like he's got a, a piece of thing that he's put his arm through, so he is reaching through dimensions because then he could put a gun to someone's head and stuff. And I'm like, great idea, loving yeah. this so far. All this is excellent. And then it like results in a chase, uh, yeah, for him to get away. Um, but again, within all this. Whilst he's doing all this other stuff and he's distracted by things and he's sort of, you know, he's a bit like, you know, not so much I don't play by the rules, but he's a bit of a, I don't know, he's supposed to be slightly like a bit of a kidder and stuff like that. Laura lines all business. Like she comes in and she's like, I'm on your six. Here it is, done it, and she's out. And she's been sort of like slightly flirting with the soldiers outside. But that whole scene, that first scene, you go, okay, she's the professional he's he's the sort of the ballsy one that gets stuff done you know puts himself in the line of fire and then it results in a chase and you're sort of thinking this is just showing him being a little bit incompetent but okay i'm willing to go with it and again he gets away with things and she ends up coming in and shows her technical skills by getting him out of the thing and saving him and i'm thinking okay that's how this works then he's going to end up being the damsel in distress and she's the one that comes to the rescue and that's going to be the sort of the you know the role reversal thing literally goes away in the next scene <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i'm like those characters you set up literally they just dissipate throughout the film until the end of this at the end of it she's sort of going about to, on about how what love means and what it's all about to be this and i'm fine i don't mind that being the theme but that wasn't the character you gave me at the start of the film. <laughs> you are 100% correct. And I, and I do love the love speech. I mean, it's one mm. of several moments where I, I genuinely feel something in this film. Um, but, I mean, you're right. Essentially, character doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, now, I don't believe character matters. We have had, uh, we've talked about a million movies. <laughs> we, you know, to me, like when we talk about the character. Okay, so I, I have a weird brain. <laughs> <laughs> to me, when we talk about like a character's arc, right? Mm. Um, you know, to me, that's a function of plot. That's a that's a that's a uh, like a geometric thing, and I can see in my mind, you know, the points along that arc and how it connects. And you know, uh, okay, so dread has the more limited curve, but it you mm. know goes here and goes there. That's a that's an element of plot to me. You know, it, it's it's. There's an almost like robotic thing about it. Um, and that doesn't mean that I don't care about characters, but 
I care about them in a different way than other people who feel like in love with characters. And sometimes I think that, you know, uh, my brain, is, you know, sort of has Aspergery strains to it. <laughs> you know, I'm very I like computers a lot more than I do people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, I and I do feel as if this whole movie, this whole movie feels like I mean, so I have a theory about this movie. Yeah, go so, for it. Like, Luc Besson, I mean, who I think is, obviously we both like. He's a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, the French Steven Spielberg. You know, he made a production company. I, I, when I taught French, I would always tell my French students, like, the movie Taken, that is what the French think about us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a French <laughs> production company. Um, you know, forget Dread being a version of America. That is what the French think mm-hmm. we want to see. We want to see torture, badass guy. And they were right. It was a big hit. They weren't wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, I mean, I think that, like, I mean, you mentioned Avatar. I think Avatar is a horrible movie. I mean, I, Mm. I, I mean, just horrible. And and I think this is way more beautiful than Avatar. Avatar has beautiful sequences, but, um, you know, Avatar, I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't work for me. But I think that this movie is very much like a reaction of. Luc Besson look, looking at, because he wrote this as well as directed it, he's looking at current blockbusters. And mm-hmm. when you and I have talked about these current blockbusters, they're filled with just dumb, 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 dumb mm-hmm. stuff. Um, you know, none of, there's not a scene in Guardians of the Galaxy that fucking makes sense, okay? I mean, it's just a cluster, but it's fun, right? And, you know, I think that there's this, like letting go of it making sense and just enjoying that, hey, you know, we're on a an, an asteroid shaped like a like a giant alien's head. Nah, you know, that's cool. Let's see what you do with that. And and I think that this movie, it's almost like it's looked at those things in American blockbusters and it said, you know what? We can do that one better. We're gonna do that square, right? You know, we're going to have a million ideas, a million brilliant visuals, uh, you know, a million chase sequences. Nothing ever lets up in this movie. There are enough movies for a trilogy of uh, enough ideas Mm. for a trilogy of movies in this movie all jammed together. And ultimately, the character doesn't matter. Most of it, most of the plot is just stuff getting from point A to point B that like, I mean, but. There's literally a <laughs> there's literally a sequence where <laughs> I love this so much to, to find Valerian, right? Loreline goes and finds like a, a Captain Ahab dude who Ugh. like looks like Alan Moore, yeah. you know, but like with cyberpunk <laughs> stuff, and he's like in this little submarine, and then they go get a jellyfish yeah. off of these giant whales that then attack them kind of like Star Wars style. But you know, if you're not into that. Don't worry, because it'll be a totally different movie in a minute. And then they take the jellyfish and they make crystal clear that, you know, Loreline to, to, has a psychic experience by inserting her head into a jellyfish rectum. Yeah. <laughs> What's on her? I mean, it's like the trippiest. This is like the trippiest, most bizarre. Like that alone, if that were the worst movie in the, in the world, I'd be like, I have to see that. That's amazing. <laughs> like it's so filled with crazy, beautiful ideas. Some of them work. Some of them are uncomfortably bad or work and are kind of uncomfortably bad. But at the end of it, I think, well, you know, I have forgiven all of those things in other movies. 
this is just the movie that says, hey, we're going to take that ability that you have to forgive it if it's interesting and fun. We're going to assume that because every blockbuster seems to do that. Let's assume that and let's, you know, turn that dial up to 11. And I and I kind of I kind of love that. And I do think it's a mess. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's a delightful, weird brain kind of product mess. You know, you are right. And there's, I mean, weirdly, this film works best when uh, De, uh, Dehan and, and uh, Delevingne are separated. When they are doing their own thing, this film seems to work better. And there are, I mean, if anything, this film isn't a film. It's not a, it's not a, you know, there's a plot to some degree. And it is, it's just a MacGuffin. It's sort of like, okay, here's the MacGuffin and now we've got to do this and this. This film is a collection of skits. And that's it. Because each skit seems to end and then they're like, and now we're going to go do this. I mean, you know, um, the two things that, that bring that home to me the most is uh, firstly the introduction to Alpha. So um, they're sort of docking their ship, and despite the fact they go home sweet home, this is clearly where they where they call home. The computer seems to give them a rundown of what Alpha is and who's on it. And even, yeah. I, even I'm like, I don't do, I don't get that when I pull up at my house. I don't go. <laughs> Well, this house was built in 1977 and has three tenants, and it's just bizarre. But even the information that the computer gives them doesn't pay off in the film. So they talk about this stuff of, of there's a the little gold robots that you've seen in the trailer, which is again great. They control the economy and banking, and I'm like, mm. right, I'm going to remember that because that's clearly going to come at some point. Nope. Uh, and then just west of those is this west. It says west. Uh -huh. Just. just how, where's North? You haven't got <laughs> I know. traveling through space. Just west of those is basically where the sort of the living quarters are, where all these things live together. Okay, so he's going to have to travel to that point. So you're going to have to know that that is at least that. Nope, doesn't come up again. And then he stops it, and I'm like, and well, it, it, it never comes up again. Cut that. Waste of time. And then the other one is. Um, uh, there's a scene where he has to travel directly to something. So he's breaking through walls and he's going through all these different environments. And all I'm thinking is the damage you are doing to these environments right now is catastrophic. Uh, but it's basically going, all it wants to show you is we've got this weird bubble environment, then an ocean environment, then a technical environment. Da, 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 da. And then he goes out the side of uh, the, sh he goes outside the ship and he's out in space and he's falling. And all, all I'm going in my head is, that's not how space works. Firstly, I'm like, because they find out that the reason he was, he was sent is because it, it was 18 instead of 81. Mm -hmm. But then he's, he's falling down the side of Alpha. And I'm like, you're in space. It's not, wh which way are you falling? Because <laughs> yeah. that doesn't... And so, anyway, but, and so again, I'm like, okay. Instantly, I'm like, that's another info dump. You're telling me this is populated by totally different things. So you want to show me the environment? Fine. I'm happy about that. That looks great. Don't then top it off by a stunt that makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say you're right. I will say that, like, you know, as far as things that irritate me, it's possible that, like, the gravity field, I mean, there does seem to be, like, a, a stable gravity field where down is always down on the station. Um, it's possible that like that extends a little beyond the station. I mean, 10 feet would do it. 
but yeah, you're right. But I mean, again, I feel like, I mean, there, there are other things that are just, you know, I don't know. I mean, this movie is such a blend of like class A brilliant stuff mm. and absolutely daft stuff. Um, when she's healing the creature after they've caught it in the big market, she says, are you ready for a uranium treatment? Yeah. What? <laughs> like, you meet the yeah. human federation. Most of them are not human. You know, like, they're just things like that. Like, I mean, but again, I was talking about like the, the, this is like some version of a blockbuster. The smashing through stuff. It's like, I've seen that a million times, mm. you know, uh, Superman, Hulk, all of them are constantly smashing through buildings. And I'm constantly sitting there going like, yeah, you know, you just killed about 50 people. And that's never going to be addressed in the movie. Here, he's smashing through walls. And I'm like, well, you know, okay. But, and, and that is an amazing scene because, you know, he, first of all, it's not important that this armor can do this. It will never <laughs> return, right? But he just, he's smashing through walls. And at one point, you're seeing like a landscape that's like... Um, strawberries everywhere mm. you know? and then he's in the underwater thing and you're like wasn't that close to those uh those gold uh, robots that handle the economy doesn't matter he's got you know jets in the you know and then he's shooting through the water in the jet you know okay just relax and enjoy the ride none of this is going to make sense all that's important about that introduction of alpha is this idea of the city of a thousand planets this idea of green lantern mosaic they're just jumbled mm -hmm. together they act where anything is doesn't really matter. Um, and yeah, there is this problem. I mean, even back to the big market where they use the uh, these ball bearings that somehow have enormous weight to like, you know, attach to somebody and weigh them mm. down. Um, that's a cool idea. You think that that technology like the booster jets in his suit might be important later. <laughs> nope. None mm. of this will ever be referenced again. It's just an acid trip. It's just... It's a series of skits. It's a series of skits. And again, like I say, that thing of him breaking through the walls, I actually really like that scene, because you're right. It is... Like I say, I, I've seen it a million times and all these other things, and I'm, I, so I'm okay with that. And like I say, the fact he's doing all this damage, I let slide because of exactly what it is. Even he calls it out and it's like, this isn't the safest way, and she's like, it's the di most direct way. So it's not that. It's the fact that he then goes into space and falls that I was like, if you're going to do all this other stuff, at least like what the end result of what they achieve with um, that scene, you know, with him falling could easily have been achieved by just him drifting into space mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the, the, the spaceship having to go and get him. Like the same thing could still be achieved. Um Absolutely. Just with is this thing of like we say that we say it on so many episodes. Minor tweaks, right? That final panel. My arm is broken. I'm uh, depressurizing. Get here fast. Change what the ticking clock is, and he can just be drifting in space. And I'm like, now I'm happy. It makes sense. I'm not so worried about it. But just because he falls, I'm like, where's the gravity coming from? This doesn't make sense. It's it just bothers me a little. But they do this repeatedly throughout the film, and these like you say, they do something really cool. And then they're a bit like, wow, well, no one's paying attention. And you're sort of like, ah. Um, well, back, back to like the big market. I mean, I love that idea. Mm. You know, I mean, that's something that's straight out of Star Wars, right? How awesome would that be, right? We, we'd love it in Star Wars. Mm. Uh, 
but and I love the the hand thing. You know, it's like half of the glove is in one dimension, the other mm. is in the other, and you just have a floating gun hand. You know, going like it's so trippy and so weird and so awesome. But then you see this movie consistently has a problem with how VR works. You know, <laughs> like you see the big market, and it's like you know. I don't know, like a hundred stories and canyons of market. Mm. And then you see the people and they're just wandering around the flat desert landscape. And you're like, how did they go up and down? You know, yeah. and once, and then you see at one point during the chase sequence, you see uh, Valerian running up a car and, you know, and you think, okay, that's interesting. So if he smacked into a wall, would he also smack into, is, is there a wall in the desert? No. Why is this one object? So that kind of establishes there is a correlation there, but then there's not. Then he he makes himself fall down a grate, and mm. that's the one time where you you fall. It's like okay, so this is the one spot in the desert that has a grate in it. What would happen if you went down in any other spot? And then like a minute later, he's kicking somebody with his holographic legs that yeah. aren't really there. I mean, it is a well, mess. It is. But it's such a cool idea. It is. And it's that... got great visuals. And, you know, there's another guy at the same time who's being controlled by a different kind of VR interface. Yeah. It's so chock filled with ideas and zany stuff. And there's, you're right, like the falling, there's stuff like that that I'm watching and I'm like, yeah, this is really stupid. <laughs> well, that's cool. That, that thing, that thing through the grate is, is another one. But weirdly, I let. That whole desert sequence, I let go because I do enjoy it because there's so much there that does work. It's, I think it's almost like the hit rate, you know, like that ratio of like, if 80% works, I'm willing to forgo that 20%. And unfortunately, as the film goes, skits, and that's all they are, they jump between that. Because, you know, like you get shot by those ball bearings and they're all over that glove. They are in the other dimension. So why does the weight in the other dimension impact on the great he sat on in our dimension? Like yeah. it shouldn't make a difference, but it does. So again, like it's like you say, it's silly. But for some reason, I'm willing to forgo that. But then there are other things later in the film where I'm like, I can't, no, nope. Because I think it's because part of it comes down to that sort of consistency of ideas, and it, it, because that whole thing runs so fast in the desert, and because it has a net end result of taking the story a little bit further and it introduces all these elements. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with that. But the thing, let's go back to the thing of breaking through the different environments and going out into space. Like, doesn't have a net result. Doesn't do anything. It doesn't prove anything. Doesn't forward the plot in any way. You know, all the, he's captured by the spaceship and they go, oh, uh, yeah, take him to the right floor this time and he'll get off. So it's like, well, it. it, it it hasn't done anything. It hasn't forwarded anything. It hasn't shown me any characterization. It hasn't shown me anything. It served no purpose. So it's sort of like that hit ratio starts to fall. Um, but there's other scenes later on where we talked about the inconsistencies of character. The character of Valerian is supposed to be this player. You know, he's got a playlist. He's meant to be all this one with the ladies. We meet a character called Bobble later on, played by Rihanna. And so, like you know, in, 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 to be fair, in a film, what you know, when you've got, when you're saying that Rihanna is one of the better characters in a film, I think we have a problem. But she's actually pretty good in this. I actually quite like the idea. The, and as we get to learn more about her character, this idea of bubble and the fact that she's a non-entity, 
Like she's literally this thing could be anything you want. And that, that dance sequence is really cool. Really cool. You know, uh, so she can whip and she changes from one outfit to the next and all this other stuff. And she can be whoever she wants to be. And again, that's utilized several times in the plot. So I'm like, good, I'm going to go with that. It helps the plot forward. It's going to take me places. But when she sort of comes up to, to Valerian and she's sort of all on him, he looks terrified all of a sudden. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, wait, aren't you the player? Kirk wouldn't be bloody terrified. Han Solo wouldn't be terrified. They'd be like, I'm really tempted, but I can't right now. Um, but like, he's almost like, oh, women, oh, females. It's, I don't know. It just feels like a completely different character at that point. And I don't know if it's just, if it's Dahana the way he does it or what, but... It's... Yeah, I, I, I didn't pick up on that being as incongruous. I mean, but, you know, I'm not saying you're wrong. Um, you know, you may be... You know, I I don't know. I mean, I again, you know, I sort of feel like so many blockbusters have these problems. They're inconsistent. The characters are inconsistent. Uh, there are plenty of scenes. I mean, you know, look, you know, I know I always harp on it, but I mean, the entire plot of Last Jedi is one giant. I'm falling in space. OK, <laughs> you know, so. You know, and pe- I mean, some people like that movie, apparently. Um, you know, that movie has three uh, separate climaxes, all of which negate themselves as soon as they're done. What was the, you know, you didn't need to go to the gambling planet. I mean, so to me, nothing, nothing in this movie is uh, essential. It's just a, it's a bunch of ideas. It's a bunch of uh, visuals. I mean, you mentioned Rihanna, and I think, you know, like that's a, it's a fantastic sequence. I remember seeing this in theaters and being really uncomfortable. <laughs> like, you know, and this movie, and I like that actually. Like, I was really uncomfortable during that dance, and I was thinking, like, this is really beautifully choreographed. Mm. It's it's uh, fantastic. I also have that voice in my head that says, like, in a lot of sci-fi movies. Why are all the things that are like sexy to you from the 20th century? You know, like, like, like there's no like weird blue alien where it's like, oh, everybody's fetishized those blue aliens for 200 years. That never has happened, right? I mean, but that's common to a lot of sci-fi. But then I was in a movie theater and I'm like, this is a blockbuster action movie, and there's a weird like semi striptease number, you know, in the middle of it. Um, that you know, it's just like, okay, it's French. It's French. It's okay. It's okay. Um, But, you know, it doesn't that I mean, yeah, you say it it makes sense for the plot, but we don't need a 10 minute, you know, or five minute striptease scene and, you know, shooting the guy who's kept her. And, you know, like the idea that the idea that she has no identity, like, I don't know what killed her. They go down a garbage chute, right? Yeah. Again, very Star Wars. And then they're like, oh, she's been mortally wounded. She's a slime mold. <laughs> you know, like yeah. what mortally wounded her? But then they have this like tearful goodbye and then they just move on to the next episode. I don't know what mortally wounded her. She says as she's dying, like, I have no identity, right? And and she's pleased that he liked her performance. She seems oddly mm-hmm. in, a, in a sort of sexist way, really pleased that she gave this guy an erection or whatever. <laughs> um, but I mean, that seems so uncomfortable, but also like, it's a fascinating idea that she has no identity, 
but that doesn't make sense because even if you're a shape changer, you could still have an identity. Mm. But she's also been a prisoner her whole life. There's a lot of incongruous ideas here. I love that idea of an alien species that doesn't have an identity. It's tied to this brilliant choreography. Ultimately, I've got problems with it, but I can ignore that because in 30 seconds, there's going to be another amazing thing that I'm going to have yeah. to deal with. Well, I think that's the thing. Again, I... I, I... I did like that, you know, the sequence. I think, I think she's good. I like the idea of her, like this thing. Again, like I've seen, I've seen um, Deep Space Nine. You know, we know that a something that can, you know, that is basically an amorphous blob can have an identity. We've seen Odo. We know that works. So again, it's not an idea. It's not a new idea, but it's it's interesting the way they talk, this idea of her being basically a sex slave. Like she's, you know, she's been in the sort of like some trafficking system. Weirdly, that Ethan Hawke is the one playing that guy. Like, that's a weird role. Like, you know, clearly doing it as a favor, maybe. Um, but yeah, like that thing of her being the artist. It's almost like I mean, I took it for me. That whole thing is like, look, I, this is my existence. The only thing I got is giving people some sort of pleasure in some way. I've got this. I, I see an artistry in it, and if it's appreciated, then it almost validates what the, the one small thing that she had. And so I, I kind of find that end touching when he says to her, like, no, you're, a, you're an artist, you know, because he's saying what she wants to hear. I, think, I thought that was quite touching. Um, it's one of the few things in this film where I'm like, yeah, I, I'm with that and I get it and I'm on board with it. Again, I was actually going to ask you what killed her because I was a bit like, I didn't see anything happen. I, I don't know. <laughs> like they must have cut something out or they missed it. Because she's been in a fight. But even during the fight, she shows that she's able to morph around swords and stuff. So I'm like, I don't know mm -hmm. what's killed her. I have no idea. Um, so, yeah. But again, like yeah, they, she, they utilize her. She becomes a, um, a deuces machina to get into this place that, for some reason in the plot, they have determined that only... A, this is the weird part again. Um, <laughs> the incongruities in this film... <laughs> So they have to get into a part of Alpha that is populated by these sort of like brutish aliens that are basically very xenophobic and don't like mixing with other alien types. Yet they've come to a space station in the middle of space populated by thousands of other species, like races. Why come? Why be there? Their king, they've, they have a king there. Doesn't make any sense, and that sort of bothered me. I was like, okay, that's sort. Of, but again, I'm going to let it go. It's sort of like you know, but it's it, again. You you are right about some of the blockbusters that we have talked about. You know, this is a bit like Barbarella, the same sort of thing where we've gone like the ideas are cool, the visuals are cool, but just something's not quite right there. There's something in the plot. I think the difference is Barbarella runs in at about ninety minutes. <laughs> Yes. This is two and a half hours, and I'm a bit like, if someone else has given this a bit of a run through, someone has sort of sat down with Luke, you know, and gone, okay, here's, I'm going to take my red pen and we're going to start scratching through stuff. I can save you 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Let's do that. I think if it was shorter, I could, again, I'd be a bit more forgiving. That's, I think that's a part of the problem. I f and I feel about that with, like you said, we've said about MCU films and other films. Like, if you have to take two and a half hours to tell a story, you're telling too much in a lot yeah. of cases. 
Well, and I think like those other blockbusters, you don't need that amount of time. No. Um, you know, the the actual the core story is easy to do in 90 minutes mm. um, in all of these movies. The issue is that, like, I think this has more. You were talking about Barbarella. I was also thinking about Flash Gordon. Mm. Um, you know, I, I also think this this movie doesn't wink at you enough to sort of like let you know that it doesn't take itself so seriously. Um, you know, I mean, maybe that, you know, Major Tom stuff at the beginning, you know, it should be a clue. But that alien sequence is that, you know, basically uh, it's not hard science fiction, but it's serious science fiction stuff. Uh, mm. You know, I mean, and then you cut to you know, these adventurers and and yeah, lots of stuff doesn't make sense. But all of these little side eddies of the journey, like, you know, my my objection there is more like you have the the generals talking, the, the military commanders of the base talking about like the sector that he's in. It mm. seems like it's two shops in a, at a wall, you know, like, yeah. this, you know, one is like the, the sex entertainment district and one is this like alien district that doesn't let foreigners in and is run by mm. a king. I mean, ultimately, the the concept of Alpha of the City of a Thousand Planets is just an excuse to do anything. It's mm -hmm. an excuse. to and, and whereas with other movies, I would object to that. And I would say, you know, like the fact that you are on a science, you think this is science fiction so you can get away with anything. I usually object to that. Here, I know they're doing it, but I don't object to it as much because it's so fast and you're right. I, I I do think it would be a lot better movie. Thirty minutes less, mm. even forty five. Uh, but you cut that whole Rihanna sequence. You don't need to. You know, I mean, he could just slip in to mm. the that alien uh, section run by the king. You don't need that whole like uh, sex stuff. None of that is important, really, to the plot. But it's important to give you that show. Um, and if you think that show is uh justifies itself it's its own reward then this is the movie for you i think i think watching a, a, a uh model playing a uh you know a, a agent in a space force put a giant jellyfish over her head hmm. you know as she has hallucinations is worth the price of admission <laughs> you know? i mean i love this stuff i admit i mean it's all a jumble but yeah um, i i agree uh, I just think again, like I say, if if this had stronger central casting, I I think some of this would come off better. Because I think the other thing as well is Cara Delevingne, um, is she's beautiful and all that kind of stuff, and yeah, whatever. There are lots and lots of beautiful women in Hollywood, but the problem with Cara Delevingne is, and you know, I hate to get into this sort of these things, but. 90% of the film, she looks disinterested. Like, she's wearing her resting bitch face. Do you know what I mean? Like, she just looks like she's... She just. She, I know what she's trying to go for. I know she's going for that sort of... I'm the sort of the serious one or, you know, whatever. But, like, it just comes across as sort of... And it doesn't even come across as annoyed. You know, she's just slightly peeved that she has to be doing this. And then she tries to stretch herself and she'll do something. And I'm like, oh, emotion. Okay, I'm, okay what's she going to do now? Oh, she's just going to shout Valerian. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake. Like, it just... <laughs> and that's where I think, like, if you had a better actress, 
in this role, in both the roles. And in my head, I'm thinking, like you said, like a young Han Solo. If this was Han Solo, mm-hmm. like Carrie, if this was Hans, if this was younger Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, mm-hmm. that energy, this whole film, as you said, the silliness, I would be like, I'm on board with this because it's ridiculous. Because I can feel that energy coming through. And I think in a modern way, I could think there are people I can think of that would play this better. And like, I went to Chris Hemsworth because I was thinking sort of that sort of comedy timing, but he's probably too hunky to do that. You need someone a bit. I agree. Yeah. You need someone a little bit different. But like, there are people that could play this and play it perfect. I mean, to me, Valerian feels like Shatner's Kirk. In a little bit of a way, you know, like so, like I, even like Chris Pine playing it, like you know, but you want that wink and a nod mm-hmm. to you. You want this to be that wink and a nod to the audience, where you go, these two central characters, you're following them through a, a bit like um, when you and you and I have talked about two films that sort of that struck me whilst watching this film. You've already mentioned one was Flash Gordon. And in that film, the fact that everybody plays it relatively straight, but it's incredibly camp and crazy, works because everybody in that in their roles is, seems to be cast perfectly. You know, like Max von Sydow as Ming, through to Timothy Dalton, and you know all that brilliant works really well. It's ridiculous and stupid, and there are things in that film that Brian Blessed, right, as Hawkman, just sort of like. Is ridiculous, but it's Brian Blessed in gold wings. So I'm like, all right, I'm, but why am I with <laughs> why am I with that, but not with this? That's the question. But and I, I think, that's what I find I, this movie forces you to confront. Yeah, and I think it's partly down to the casting of these things because mm-hmm. then I thought about Baron Munchausen, mm-hmm. and again I was thinking of this again these sorts of films that become almost like a a, a, a travelogue of lunacy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's because yeah, that's what that's sure. what Munchausen is. And then I was thinking, yeah. so why do we enjoy? And again, we admit we acknowledge that Munchausen has massive problems in some scenes and stuff. Like some of that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Other scenes I love and I adore that scene. Again, I was thinking, why is it? Why is it that I'll accept that Baron Munchausen will go to the moon to find mm-hmm. one of his best friends and confront a couple that live on the moon, and one of them has a head that detaches and stuff. It's because it's played by Robin Williams and it's all the energy that goes with that. And the guy that plays Munchausen is perfect. And you've got Eric Idle in there and I've got this and I've got that. And I'm like, okay, that's what it is. Firstly, I find that those, both those films hit a, are still more consistent than this film. And if you, you know what I mean, in that sort of idea, I mean, we've said about character. Yes. The characters are a bit up and down in those films, but at least with much with flash Gordon, they were like, we are basically going for basically a disco classic <laughs> and it's going to look like that and we're going to stick to that and that's what we're going for. Perfect. It looks the part. And the same with Munchausen. We're going for some fevered Napoleonic dream. Awesome. Let's go with that. This film, like I say, it's, it, if, if they've just stuck, the tone's fine, but the fact it's sort of there's so much else jumping up and down that I think like Luke Besson's going, I want to get these themes in and I want to make this, get this message across. Yet I want to do these crazy scenes as well. Causes this too much of a mixture that it, it sort of starts to fall apart. However, like you say, if the central cast was right, I think this film 
would jump up. I think this film would be a cult classic. Mm-hmm. It still might do, but I still think you needed an over-the-top or you need Valerian to be either too ballsy, you know, in a Shatner way, or to be a little bit more comedic. The only person I think gets what this film is is Clive Owen. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I find Clive Owen even. I, I love Clive Owen and other stuff. I find mm. him, I'm so aware that he's Clive Owen, you know? <laughs> like in, in, you know, in, in, a, in a weird way, like, I mean, if this had those, like, I'm not aware. Oh, yeah, that's Rihanna. Like, I'm not so conscious of that because mm. half the time that character is in other forms. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I Clive Owen is, yeah, he's playing it sort of campy, but... I don't know that I love his performance in this. And I'm so conscious of the fact that it's Clive Owen. I think what you're saying is entirely correct. And I think that it represents a sort of concern for characters and a concern for actors. And and, and I will be able to watch those films and, you know, I will have the same reaction. But maybe it's like, you know, maybe it's like... um, You know, we get into these questions of sort of what do we forgive and what are we willing to forgive? And so many of the films that we've selected have been movies that we admit major flaws to, Mm. but that we like or that, you know, are fun. And there's tons of stuff that that doesn't make sense or or is faulty. Um, I feel like, you know, this is a movie that sure has more than its fair share of that. But because of the speed and because of the aesthetics, uh, I'm willing to go along with those things. And I think that I would prefer other actors. Mm. I agree with you. But I have seen performances that have won Oscars and that other people will praise and and I'll be like, yeah, you know, he's basically just walking through that. You know, I mean, all he's doing is the male equivalent of resting bitch face, you know. Mm. I mean, and and he won an Academy Award because it's such a reserved performance, you know. So and and the other thing is like all of these like plot elements that that these little things that that irritate you and, and pull you out of it. Um, uh, to me, I, you know, when we talk about these movies, we see them in everything they're in and we just choose to forgive them or not. And there are some movies where we disagree and and I can get kicked out and you not or vice versa. But, um, but for me, like think about like the, the end of guardians of the galaxy where the entire plot depends on this thing, not touching the surface, Mm. but it's not touching the surface because it's being held by a person who's wearing shoes. It's not, and it's not, you know, like how does this work? It's contacting air. Air is just other molecules. I mean, I, but the entire plot depends on that. And now you're in a video game where don't let that touch the surface. And that's going to be crucial for the last 45 frustrating, terrible, agonizing <laughs> minutes of the movie. In this movie, it has the exact same, like this movie would have that exact same flaw. It probably has 20 flaws on that level, but none of them are important for more than two minutes at a time. Uh, and so I can, I recognize what it's doing. I see that. I'm kind of, I recognize that's a failure, but then I'm on to the next show and 
I find once I've let go of, you know, it's hard for me to let go of that, that nitpicky, you know, part of me. But once I let go of that, I'm just on a roller coaster ride of visuals and ideas and some work and some make me uncomfortable. But I'm definitely amused. I'm definitely engaged. I'm definitely feeling something or thinking something every step of the way. And so for me, it, it works on that level. Not that it's not a mess. I mean, I admit. No, 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 yeah. I think we, we both agree on that. I think that you say about engaged, and I think this is where we've both sort of come to with the past, is that um, you, know, I, you, you, you know, it's, it's ideas stimulate you. Like you, you know, obviously that's, that's what you're getting in. And this, and this is filled with ideas. <clears throat> and again, I think some of that, like, you know, is inconsistent. And some of it's a bit weird. But even... it's. The, for me, it's the characters I get engaged with. The characters I want to feel something. So, when when Bubble dies, um, and you know, you she she gets that that um, set fair, you know, that farewell, that sort of send off in the film. I'm a bit. I, I, I do feel something because I'm okay. She's been given a send off, and she's actually been. She's if she has been injured, she has sacrificed herself for the greater good. Like she has been now been appreciated as an artist that she wanted to do something more. So she was sort of thrust into that moment of replicating one of those other aliens and actually helped out and like, you know, um, weirdly defends uh, Laura line by saying, weirdly saying like, she's a woman in a, in a weird way. It's a very odd scene. But, and again, I, that scene with all the fighting in that sort of very much felt to me like, well, every, that, let's do the problem actually, we'll come to a minute, but that felt to me like Jean Carter. Like I was watching that mm. that fight with those big aliens and I was like, oh, I've seen this. <laughs> mm. This is this is, uh, this is is Jean Carter. This is with the swords swirling around and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, all right, this is the end of Jean Carter. And we were saying then, that was messy. And I'm like, okay, well, this is still messy. It's still fun to watch, but it's messy. But I'm going to give it that. And as you said, then Bubble dies and they move on. And then you get to the main climax. And all of a sudden, like, you know, Cara Delevingne, they're now talking about, or Laura Lyons now talking about love and what she expects from um, uh, from Valerian and all this other stuff. Yet you've got this sort of countdown of these troops and then these these robot soldiers and all this other stuff coming in. And there's and again, parts of that I'm really digging where I'm like, oh, there's a ticking clock and they've got to get it done. And I'm, I'm, I'm sort of invested in that bit. And then it becomes just another, like, shooty shooty mess mm-hmm. and i'm a bit like i don't know i don't know i don't know who's won this what's going on what because again the aesthetics of this film are great the visuals are great the one time the visuals aren't great is the fact that strangely from a distance those robots look a lot like the soldiers <laughs> mm-hmm. and so it all becomes this sort of like slightly silhouetted characters shooting mm. at each other but i love the fact that they're all in black and they're the baddies, and then the, the the aliens from the prom planet mule are all stood there, completely unarmed. This wall mm. protecting that sort of uh, barrier into their ship, and again the peaceful nature of it. And I'm like, that scene to me, I'm like, this is cool. Okay, I'm getting some of the themes. You know, I, I love the fact that the chief, acknowledged as a man, is actually most captured and voiced by a woman. It's mm. some really good ideas are coming through this. And I'm like, okay, I'm cool with this. The, you know, so the, the the finale has got more consistency in that little scene. Look, this is what I'm saying about skits. Take away all the adventure, and they bring in the tension again. And I'm getting back to like, this is reminding me of why I like Luke Besson. Mm-hmm. 
there's bits in that finale that I'm like, this is cool. All right, I'm in, I'm, I'm in again. Some of the shit in the middle can go away. Yeah. This, this is where he thrives in doing some of these bits and pieces. It's weird and it still looks good, but I'm, you know, but they're focusing in on it. And the plot itself focuses in on something which, and th- again, this is where I think this film has too many themes. It's trying to do too much. Um, because the, th- the theme of the film is, or the plot centers on the fact that however many years ago, 30 years, I think it was supposed to be, um, a younger um, Clive Owen uh, was a commander of a ship and during a battle felt that the only way to do something was basically to level this planet that, that you know he was told had an indigenous population on but they were not as advanced technologically so he sacrificed that the population of that planet uh, and this chief's daughter as it turns out uh, in order to win this battle or in order to survive and you know he then gives this thing of like, well, what's what's this one planet to to you know my soldiers at that point like five hundred thousand soldiers died and he's like, well, mm-hmm. six million indigenous people died, and it becomes this imperialistic story then, which could be the cavalry killing Indians or you know the Western expansion or British imperialism in some of the country like it becomes this imperialist story, and I've all of a sudden I'm like. I, it's cliched as hell, which is why I could happily call her Pocahontas. But it's no more cliched than um, it's no more cliched than Avatar. Absolutely. You know? But I'm digging that, and it's okay. All this stuff about, as you said, about gender that they keep trying to sort of like he's struggling to understand. I'm like, look, go away, talk yourself through it, figure that out, and come back. But this mm-hmm. other stuff, if you want to make a comment about Western imperialism and how we treated indigenous peoples across the world, I'm all for that on a planet populated by, no, sorry, on a space station populated by a thousand different races. Mm-hmm. And now the people that run it have been off and killed one. That's interesting to me. You know, how, what's the fallout of that going to be? How's that going to roll out? How do you, how do you, um, how do you, you know, justify that against everything else that you've done on Alpha and all this other stuff? Why isn't that the story? <laughs> and so well, it kind of it, is. I mean, it's just never... a bunch in the middle. <laughs> that's it. Like that's what I'm like. The finale of this film is really good, and I enjoy it, and I love that idea. And that's when I like Clive Owen because he is. He's playing it. He's a he's a bit arch. He's a bit camp. Um. But it's dealt with, and that's the problem. It sort of it sort of just gets dealt with, and then um, you know, he's left hanging there. And I like the fact that he's he's, he's I like the fact he's arrested, not killed. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's, it's too easy to just have him killed by yeah. You know, oh, they have their revenge and walk away. No, 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 no. Like he's going to face up to this, and they've got to face the consequences of it. Oh, man. Um, and so I like that. It's just the fact that, like you say, there's this chunk in the middle that's just so messy. That w- but when this film works, it works really well. And I kept thinking back to Fifth Element. Mm. And again, I'm like, that's a film that's in places a little bit. It does get messy and everything. But again, the f- the fact that, like, you know, this whole thing's like she's the Fifth Element and all this other stuff. And it's got some crazy aliens in it. And, you know. All that is forgiven because, again, everything else seems to work in that film. And I get to the end of this film, and I'm saying the same, like, oh, man, that 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 finale, that opening, and all this stuff, and that finale, 
forgetting forgetting the relationship shit that doesn't work is is so good. What the hell happened in the middle? Well, I mean, I think Fifth Element is. I I, I love Fifth Element. I mean, mm. I saw it in theaters, and I was the only person in the theaters. You know. Um, and I instantly understood, like, I, I didn't know that Mobius had any connection to it. And I was like, yeah, he consulted on this. I know yeah. it before <laughs> I saw it in the credits. Um, but it is a clunky movie, too. Uh, mm. It's just a slower clunky movie. Uh, I mean, you have a sentient expanding star in that yeah. movie. OK, come on. You have, you know, the fifth element and like, you know, uh, you know, these like, why would you design something using, you know, Egyptian flying saucers <laughs> that, you know, needs to be exposed to water and fire? You know, I mean, none of this really makes sense. But much in the way of like, you know, French sci-fi comics, like, you know, Meta Barons and Incal and, mm. and stuff like that. It, it it has a sort of internal, it feels right. It feels cool. And, and I have objections to it. I, my logical mind can kind of make these objections. I think that the conclusion of this, uh, you're right. I love, I love those themes. I love uh, what happens to, to the pearl after planet mule is destroyed. Um, you do have to believe that that ship that they went into the wreckage of somehow could survive the planet being destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> but then, and I've seen that in other French comics too, sci-fi comics. But um, then I love this idea of how they learn and they build a new civilization. It's sort of like, you know, uh, uh, American Indians having lost their culture, mm -hmm. you know, embracing modern technology. I love the multiculturalism inherent in the city of a, a thousand planets. Um I love uh, the concept of sort of reparations at the end that mm. we did this to them. And yes, we're going to give this them this replicator, you know, that's important to their culture. I love those themes. And I and, and the whole story, I think, of Planet Mule is is essentially really well done. I hate that, you know, Clive Owen is left hanging there. I don't know how mm. he wants each. I just I've always hated that. But I don't know. I feel as if. Like there's a sort of like rubber band of credulity mm -hmm. that 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 gets strained in movie after movie, especially science fiction, science fantasy. Uh, there are always these problems. I feel like this movie, not without some annoyance, but it essentially just takes that and just snaps it, <laughs> you know, 30 minutes, 30 minutes in. And you're either going to, you know, and I, and I, you're either going to accept that and be along for the ride or you're not. Mm. And, and for me, all of those in between scenes are still fascinating. They're still visual. I mean, they're wonderful when he's in the sort of like sex area, there's a peacock woman. Yeah. There's a, there's a, like, there's a like little person riding on the shoulders of another person. It's yeah. just like, mind-blowing like the number of just ideas and visuals per minute is just mind-blowing and my brain is electrified and i love that and and i end up feeling like yes i'm annoyed at all of those same things that you're annoyed with too but you know i'm so annoyed in other films where they strain that rubber band i'm much more annoyed by that than than the average film goer you are i just can't quite get past that and here they just say, ah, you know, clearly the American audience for blockbusters has 
is more than willing to strain this rubber band. They don't really care about logic or sense. They want the visuals. And I keep thinking, we, we talked about Star Wars. This is Star Wars adapted for the modern blockbuster on acid. Mm-hmm. Nothing in Star Wars makes any sense. What is Star Wars about? Yes, you're going to come back and say it's about characters. I care about Luke. I care about these performances. I care about Han Solo. You're right. Absolutely. My brain is weird, and I see the characters as a function of the plot. And I see so much of what I love about Star Wars is those visuals. It's just the idea of, yeah, you've got a Death Star. You've got a planet that's a weapon. How awesome is that? <laughs> Does it make sense? No, not at all. <laughs> but you've got lightsabers. Why do you have lightsabers? Doesn't matter. It's a cool idea. This movie just says, hey, you know what? Audiences, are. that's what they're looking for. They're looking for those visuals. They're looking for the cool ideas. Let's give them a movie that is more jam, that just strains that rubber band, pops it, and just gives them more jam-packed for minute than I've ever seen in any blockbuster. It's not my favorite movie of all time. You know, I like controlled narratives, right? This is Mm -hmm. not a controlled narrative. But as a mishmash of ideas, you know, I think not only of Metabarons, but people, you know, talk about Grant Morrison comics of like, you know, mm. yeah, I don't know how it all fits together, but there's more ideas per page in the beloved Grant Morrison comics than other stuff. And and maybe it's crazy. Maybe people don't know what to think of it, but there's so many ideas in there that your brain goes on this wild ride. And I feel that way about this movie. I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> I know I, I do. Because, again, if, I ta- if, I, if you take this as a series of skits... And I was to choose one of those skits, one of those sketches, you know, a section. Because we've talked, we, we've literally just referred to them a section. Okay, there's the Rihanna section. Then there's sort of, you know, um, the other, the, the section where he's exploring Alpha. And then there's the finale. Like, if you were to take just one or two, you can pull that out and go, I'm going to watch that little bit. There's 10 minute section that I'm going to watch. You could watch and go, that's amazing. That's really good, that is. There's a lot going on there. Like if you actually I tell you what, you take out that market scene at the beginning, and they, they explain to you, yeah, they're on a mission, so they are agents, and they're going to infiltrate this market. It's interdimensional, so you've got to wear this headgear and these gloves to, in order to interact with this thing in this other dimension, and you can sort of pass through into it through this technology, and then you get all this stuff of how, what it looks like, and then, like you said, the ludicrousness of seeing like people just wandering around in the desert, but they don't see that; they see walls and stalls and all this other stuff. Okay, take that out. Stick that somewhere else. Brilliant. That that in itself is really good. Now let's take that bit where on the beach where the aliens, the avatar, the the planet mule. Take that out and just just that from beginning to end, from from the moment she gets out of bed to the moment the planet's destroyed. Awesome. That that is incredible. Mm-hmm. Take that. Stick that somewhere else. And then you do this and you take them apart and you go, those parts in themselves are all really interesting. They all look really, really good. They all work in themselves. Put mm-hmm. them together in any old bleeding order, all of a sudden, doesn't work for me. You're, you're right. I agree 100% and, with what you're saying. <laughs> and I think that's the problem. If I was to watch this as... if mm. I, I will take this as those bits. There are bits I will definitely... I could go back to. It's a bit like, to me, and it's, it's always a shout-out, that Jim and Watchmen came out Mm-hmm. Um, Zack Snyder's Watchmen and the thing that everyone was lauding was the opening credits 
Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, if that's the best thing that everyone's lauding, this film's got some real problems. Mm-hmm. And this film is similar to that in that, like, you know, it's a really long film. It's it's overly complicated. It's got some silliness in. But the best stuff is at the beginning, at the end. <laughs> and I'm a bit like, that to me cries problems. I also think they say it's got very Eurocentric sensibilities. Um, in that having read, and it, weirdly, I've read In Colour, I've read uh, Meta Barons, and I've enjoyed those comics. And for some reason, they work as a comic. Mm-hmm. But it's, again, that thing of adaptation, isn't it? Like, you can't always adapt things in the same way. And I think this shows it, really, that you can't adapt... You can't adapt a French comic as a French comic. Yeah, there definitely is that sensibility. I find myself thinking about... I don't know. I mean, I like that this movie makes me think. You know how we talk about, like, anime, we talk about, you know, manga? Mm. One of the biggest things that you have to adapt when you're taking most anime, they don't do it anymore, I think, unfortunately. But when you take an anime and you and you bring it to a Western audience, all of a sudden, everything has to have an explanation. Mm. And traditionally in an anime, you just have an alien show up, right? And, you know, yeah. you, you have a very serious show in which all of a sudden, like, there's some magical thing that just is there <laughs> for an episode or two. You know, there's no sense of genre consistency or even having explanations for stuff. And I think that, you know, we, especially with uh, these blockbuster movies and shared universes, you know, sometimes don't have enough genre consistency. But we have those ideas in the West. Mm. In France, you know, it seems as if not all, but, you know, most French science fiction, I think this is true of you know, science fiction movies. I think it's true of science fiction comics in France. It it often does something of the same thing where there's just, you know, okay, this is an idea. Um, you know, uh, so many celebrated French uh, sci-fi series. It's like, okay, well, you've got ancient, Egyptians go- ancient Egyptian gods visiting the earth. I guess they were the same I guess ancient Egyptians saw this. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's beautiful. There's a, you know, film noir kind of, you know, vibe to it. That's weird. And that stuff is hanging in museums in France, you know? Mm. I mean, there is a sort of like, you know, we have these ideas of a controlled narrative. And I I have them too. Uh, that's usually what I will celebrate. But... There is that sort of like embrace of science fantasy as science fantasy. That's like if you're gonna go that other direction, just throw in the kitchen sink. Why not have a leprechaun? Throw him in there in the middle if it's gonna be a cool idea. But I like what you said about sort of like episodic. Like if this were a series on on a streaming service mm. where you just chop it into chapters and you just have that little bit of a pause, and it's like you have to click a button to go to the next chapter, right? Where it's like, next, you've had that opening, you get the dream sequence, you get the, you know, the big... You you just be blown away by one after another. We probably ban social media saying, oh my God, you have to see Valerian. Um, I agree with that. And I and I do think that the, it is... It feels too long, especially as a movie. It's, it's, it's weaker altogether. But I often, you know, I always come back to... Um, you know, the fact that I all of my complaints 
I have about other movies that I'm willing to forgive. I mean, it's a two and a half hour movie. I, you know, I've never been through a two and a half hour movie that I haven't <laughs> rarely that I haven't thought this needs to be 40 minutes shorter. Mm. And in most of those movies, I can't stand the climax. I spend 40 minutes of it just, you know, twiddling my thumbs, looking at the person next to me saying, like, you are enjoying this way too much. What am I missing? Uh, and I don't feel that with this. No. Yeah, I get you. The idea of this being uh, a series would be quite cool. I, I can imagine it being a good series. I can imagine them doing that. And I think that would be quite cool. Because you could, you could have different tone and different and different characters in each one. Because that's become that's the. I mean, the Mandalorian is very much that. It's a travel log of of adventure. Like each episode is, Mandalorian walks into a different location, and he then has to go into some and he he enters somebody else's story. That's, you know, mm. it's that sort of the wandering Ronin. That's exactly what it is. Um, and you can get away with that. So, like you say, one day, one week, he can walk into a comedy. Well, he wouldn't do that, but like you know, they can walk into this story, then that story, and then that story, and that you can do that in episodic TV, especially if you if you're aiming sort of like short series. If this was like four or five episodes, and you could really that'd be great. I think it would work better, um, but again, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a film, and film works in a certain way. Um, and so again, I do think of the the thing with this film is I think about other other films where um, they have tried something similar, and it's it hasn't quite worked. You know, it's either it's a director on um, you know out of control or you know the, the sort of because this feels like Luke Besson having been given, here's a big budget, do your thing sort of thing, you know. I, I think of, like, um, other 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 films where this happened. I think of, like, Waterworld or mm-hmm. um, uh, Clive Barker's Nightbreed or um, there's, there's a couple of others I can think of, but, like, those films where you go, there's a way of fixing this film. <laughs> mm-hmm. like it's, and I wouldn't say, Valerian isn't terrible. If I was made, if I had to sit down and watch it again, I would. I could probably sit. I could sit through it. You know, there's bits where I'd be like, I'd probably check my phone in the a certain bits, um, and I wouldn't. I'd, I'd know to disengage from the character stories. Okay, just enjoy the visuals. Yeah. Just enjoy what's going on. Fine, but like I do with Waterworld, and like I do with like Nightbreed, there's. I watch those films, and I go, I know these aren't good films, and there's a way of, and frustratingly. It's sort of like just two degrees to the left, yes. And it could it could have been fixed, and I sort of feel like that with this film. It's like there's just like you say when it when this film works, like it really works, like because it is it's really interesting. When it doesn't, it's terrible at times. <laughs> Where like I, I'm just I'm just like checking my watch, checking my phone. I'm struggling not to sort of you know. Um, Mm. See, I don't identify with the checking my watch, checking my phone. And maybe that's the key difference here. I'm never bored. <laughs> I groan. I mean, you know, in my head, you're absolutely, I mean, I'm groaning a lot at some mm. of the dialogue, at some of the ideas, the things that don't make sense, or, you know, the the, the gender stuff that's just uncontrolled. Uh, you know, there's definitely a lot that I'm groaning in my head about. But 
like, you know, as you say, there's a lot that's good. You're talking about that conclusion where the pearls come out and they grasp hands, you know, mm. and there's just the visual of these stark, beautiful aliens holding hands, being ready to be gunned down in front of this portal that makes no sense that apparently yeah. goes into a VR simulation. I mean, on a, on a spaceship that's about to take off. I mean, none of it makes any sense, but I don't know. I never feel myself bored. Um, and, and I feel like I watch most movies and I sort of feel like, yeah, there's a version of this that would be better. Mm. And that, you know, I'm used to watching movies and sort of thinking like, if I'm engaged enough, I think, okay, how would I rewrite this? You know, and and you do the same thing. You come up with brilliant mm. ways of, you know, easy tweaks that make the movie a lot better. Uh, but I feel like, you know, I mean, in some ways, this is a movie that is impossible to navigate outside of sort of understanding the conventions of big budget Hollywood blockbusters. You know, I mean, it has all of them. On the other hand, it's so unapologetically itself and out of control. And mm -hmm. I sort of love it for that. The thing is, I think, you, you know, we say about Hollywood blockbusters, and you know, we've referred to several, you know, MC, whether it be the MCU or the DCU or uh, Avatar, and we've referred to others. The, qu the question I have, though, would be, so why is it they make a billion dollars and this didn't? And that, that's the sort of thing, because like, the idea, as I say, the ideas are there, so the visuals are there. There's nothing in this that looks cheap. You know, it all works. Um, and, you know, what, one of the things I think we've learned in, in modern cinema is I think they've learned to, well, firstly, a lot of those had um, an IP that's already recognisable. That's right. that's almost like you know you have a built-in audience where Valerian doesn't really, but, but it does in France, I'm sure, in other other and in, in other comic circles, but it's a very small niche. But then I look at things again, like you know films that, that, that we we've both mentioned. I actually really like Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, it's good fun. It's got certain things in it. So you're right. Some parts don't make sense. Some parts um are a bit cack but that took a that that has and uh, what differentiates it from from uh you know what what's the difference between guardians and valerian what why is it that one made 800 million and one because you can't we can't stake that they're an ip that everyone knew because unless mm -hmm. you'd read marvel like nobody knew who the guardians of the galaxy were you know but you, like you say, you've got a, you have a film with a talking raccoon and a tree, and Dave Batista, uh, you know, a former WWE, WWE wrestler, running around as a green guy with knives. Like you know, it's why does that work? Why did people invest in that but not this? I think that is the question. Okay, I mean, let's let's pursue this. Mm. Um, I think Guardians of the Galaxy is borderline unwatchable. Really? I watched it. In, I watched it in a theater. I watched it with a, with actually another comic scholar who I won't mm. name, and I groaned. I mean, it was one of the most miserable experiences of my life. Um, you know, it was like watching. You know, Ant Man two was the same way. Um, Black Panther was so bad I couldn't get through it. <laughs> um, you know, and and I they're just 
that rubber band just kept straining and straining watching Guardians. And it just like it strains. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, OK, this is a cool thing. Cool scene. I sort of see what they're doing here. And then it strains again. And eventually it just keeps doing it and doing it and doing it until mm. it doesn't know that it's broken. And it's it's so far broken. And, and none of the characters make any sense to me. You know, if they make any sense at all, it's through a series of cliched moments. Uh, and I see what they're doing. It's paint by numbers where it's working and where it's not working. It doesn't know how horrible it's, it is. And I am abjectly miserable watching those movies. I mean, it, I feel physical pain. Uh, you know, Valerian, what I can't stand, okay, <laughs> is that, you know, I mean, Valerian has... I agree with all of the things that you've listed as flaws. To me, all of those flaws are in those other movies, too. Maybe this, you know, this movie, it strains that rubber band to breaking really early on. Mm. But I mean, certainly, you know, I mean, certainly the objection can't be that it um, that it has problems or makes no sense or the characters are flat or, you know, I mean, all of those are problems with movies that have been tremendously successful that people love. Um, maybe it's this, maybe I have a sort of delight of the, of the new, of the novel, of the crazy idea mm. of the roller coaster ride. And my brain is just more attuned to more manic craziness. Um, I think that's true. At the same time, I'm, I am perplexed by how I am bothered in those movies by things that other people either don't notice or don't care about. And the re and their objections to something like Valerian, which I love, I mean, knowing it's a train wreck, I don't think it's a, you know, I wouldn't give it a nine or 10 out of 10, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, but it is so unapologetically itself. And the, and the words that we use to object to that film are the words that I would use to object to these others. And I don't understand why I seem to myself be an alien who <laughs> doesn't understand where other people are coming from. The thing, the thing, the only thing I can really think of, because again, like, you know, yes, this is a little uncontrolled, you know, it's, it's long, um, but then I think guardians is probably like two hours, 10 at least. Um, what, the one thing that I can come back to, about this because the other thing that sort of one of the other film that struck me whilst watching this was men in black um again the 1995 will smith tommy lee jones film because uh, that's got some ludicrous moments in you know and it's it's but again it was hugely successful it's you know it really sort of ignited will smith as you know a megastar and again so i look back at like that film and i look back at um guardians and i look back at some other films even looking at back at like you know i mean where they're mega successful and the thing that i can keep coming back to is charisma mm. and it's something you said about this film sort of like you know it needs that little bit of a a twinkle in its eye a little bit of a wink at you know a wink to your mum to say <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm naughty but safe you know and and that's and i that's what it comes down to in a lot of cases, you can full if if you were to take, let's take, um, in fact, let's take another example. Uh, Back to the Future, you know, is a film that again, um, 
is is one of my favourite films. It's it's a nostalgia trip. It's brilliant. You know, I can go back to that film a number of times and really enjoy it. There are moments in that film where even I'm like, you know, it's a great script, but this isn't, as you and I have said, this isn't really how time travel should work. <laughs> you know, the character beats don't all make sense. Some of the sexual politics in that film are really dangerous. Like, you know, Biff deserves to be in prison um, <laughs> rather than buffing people's cars. But uh, besides that, it works because you have the chemistry between uh, Michael J. Fox and you know, Marty and, and Doc Brown, Christopher Lloyd. And then some of the other characters are, are just really good in it. Like, you know, Crispin Glover is, is so good. So you watch that film and you, I can forgive all the daftness of it towards, especially the ending, you know. Um, and I get so invested in that moment where the DeLorean has to hit that wire at the right, exact right moment for the lightning strike. My heart, even watching it like now, like, you know, for 30 some years later i'm still like i'm so invested in that it's amazing um it's because it has a charisma and it has a heart and that sort of thing that i'm like i can enjoy the cheekiness of michael j fox and the manicness of doc brown you know christopher lloyd and this other stuff and then you take it to um guardians you know you can apply the same thing chris pratt yeah he's actually relatively irritating in that film but he comes across in a way he can still carry a vulnerability at times. You know, he can do that from being a complete prick to being vulnerable very quickly. That's sort of one of his big things. And the rest of the cast are actually really good. Like Dave Batista is actually surprisingly funny, you know. And, and they, one yeah. of the good things is that um, James Gunn's timing for things, you know, like the use of like, I am grouped at the right moment is just sort of like, you go, I'm going to forget the silliness, but I, I, that just made me laugh. And it comes with a wink and a nod. And it's that sort of like, you know, um, winking at, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, say no more. Hey, hey, you know what this is. I know what this is. And you are loving it. It's that sort of, you know, it's that person who comes into a room with full confidence in a car mm -hmm. showroom, you know, perfect teeth going, you want this car, don't you? You, you know, you want, I know you want this car. You want this car. It's like the Bruce Campbell effect almost. Like it's cheesy and a bit silly, but he's got so full of confidence that you're just with him. And I think, again, this film comes in and it sort of goes, here's all these ideas. And it starts with that. And I'm on board and I'm going, oh, hey, hey, oh this is, this is going to be good. This is. And then it sort of takes that left turn and you're going, <laughs> it's a complete vacuum of interest. And so, as you said, the ideas are good, but I'm not good. This is being sat on a bus. I'm going to shut up in a minute you respond. But this is being sat on a bus. We talked about it being a travelogue, right? And there's a difference between sat on a bus, but with Bruce Campbell, who's keeping you, you know, he's, he's cracking jokes and keeping you awake and telling you all these things about what you, you're seeing out the window, or being mm. sat with with George W. Bush, who's basically just going, you know, and th and there's a ball of the world's biggest ball of string. There's a hay bale, like. Do you know what I mean? Someone Do you think this movie is that boring? I mean, you know, no. like there's a ball of string. You know, it's like uh, somebody's putting a jellyfish on their head. But, you know, but, uh, but, I'm, but I don't. The thing is, it's fun to watch because visually, again, the way that scene is is the looks is great. But the fact that she's doing it and there is a sacrifice to be made. If she if she doesn't pull her head out, 
Mm. What le- over a minute, she starts to feed on her memories. That's a great idea, by the way. That's a fantastic parasitic idea because that's sort of what it's doing. You know, I don't care <laughs> because she is so bland and so devoid <laughs> of charisma. Both of them are so devoid of any charisma or any spark. I don't care enough for them. Like you say, that's a good idea. That is, but it's not. Come back. Let's go. Anyway, that yeah, I'll let you respond because I'm still thinking about the Grant Grant Morrison analogy and when he works and when he doesn't work. Yeah, and it's a similar thing. Well, I mean, uh, you know, all I have to say is is uh, this thing about charisma. I think you're right. I mean, essentially, there's a version of this movie that's cast differently, that's maybe edited a little differently, that could have been a at least performed better. You know, it did okay at the box office, but. It's another, you know, we're talking about John Carter. It's another $200 million Mm. movie, most expensive European film ever made. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it recouped that money, you know, but it didn't uh, really recoup it. I mean, its box office was more than its its budget, but it wasn't a multiple that justified a sequel. Um, But what you said, so, yeah, okay. When we talk about art, Mm. obviously... Movies want to make their money back. You want anytime, I don't care who you are as a writer, you want somebody to like your work, to engage with your work to some degree. You make compromises to do that. I'm not saying that this is like some pure, you know, brilliant work of artistry that Mm -hmm. refuses to compromise. But the idea of you're right about charisma I think you're right about the actors. And, but to me, what I hear is, is like, I'm not immune to those things. But what I hear is this sort of like personal touch of liking the actor. You know, how, how often have we talked about movies where we just say, oh, so-and-so is fun to watch, right? Mm. And yeah, they're fun to watch. But I think that, I don't know, I come back to feeling like my brain is different feeling like I am myself an alien. And there have many, many times um, have I seen somebody who is charismatic with other people where, you know, I'll be like, "Mm, yeah, I mean, I'm not immune to that, but, uh, you know, it's a show and it's a little more transparently a show to me than it is to the person sitting next to me. And, and I'll say, like, yeah, I agree with everything they're saying. However, this point doesn't really make sense. And have you thought about this? And they're, it's just like none of that occurred to them because they were so charmed. Mm. Um, and maybe I'm just, you know, less affected by charisma fields than other people. Um, maybe I just have a little bit of a, you know... Uh, Aspergery tendencies in my brain that I see that as, you know, you're doing a performance. I see the way in which you're triggering this in my brain and in the person next to me, but I'm watching the gears turn. Um, so maybe it just affects me a little less. And maybe that means that I, I mean, I think you're right that especially with Valerian and mm-hmm. Lorelai, it is a kind of soulless exercise you know um 
But if I, I mean, if I watch this movie with the sound off, I'd be like, this is the most amazing thing. Like, I love this movie. I don't know what's going on, but I'm so, I want to know more. I'm so charmed by it. So I don't know. I mean, we both like Starship Troopers. The acting is not great in Starship Troopers. Okay. I mean, half of that is a dumb 90210, you know, romantic thing. I mean. Yeah, there's a little bit more charisma. There's, you know, you you kind of like those characters. They smile at the camera, um, but but no. But let's make the confession. That film also knows exactly what it is. Yeah. The thing, weirdly, the audiences didn't, but that film knows exactly what it is. And you and I met it at that level, and we're both like, "Oh no, this is Verhoeven taking the piss out of the American military." Like. You know, and it's totally that. It's 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 making fun out of propaganda propaganda films. Like, you know, it's taking the mick out of Top Gun. It's taking the mick out of all those other types of films. And you say again about charisma, and there, you know, I, I think about uh, Men in Black. That first Men in Black, it's it's well written to the extent of it's good fun. Like it's rewatchable, and you've got that perfect pairing of you know the straight man and the the silly person will smith and and tommy lee jones like they timed it it just it just became pitch perfect maybe one day we'll talk about it is it a great film no it's got some real problems it's got some real problems but because of the sort of the charisma and the charm that came with it it became a huge success they recently made men in black international with Mm -hmm. chris hemsworth and i'm blanking on the on the uh the the woman's name she's valkyrie and she's in creed and she's really good i've seen her in things where she's great that film is awful it is dreadful and again it's where they've got like this thing of like they did not know what where they were pitching it and so you go and it's sort of similar to this where you've gone wrong people wrong wrong tone to you know so it sort of falls apart um and again like you say with with this i think if you're going to spend 60 million, cast who you want. Do what you're <laughs> going to do. Because it's probably going to recoup its debt, its money back. Mm. 100 million, yeah, all right. You're going to get some people involved and go, look, we want at least a name involved in this. I want Dane DeHaan. Fine, have Dane DeHaan. It's going to pull certain people. It's a bit weird. And they've got Cara Delevingne. Yeah, she's hot and people are going to be interested in that. 200 million, I think it was 170 million to 200 million. Right. Mm-hmm. I want a franchisable name. I want I want you know, I want this. I want, if you're spending all the special effects, like I want someone that can carry this and I want to see the dailies. I want to see how that love interest is gonna pan out. I want to be able to make toys of this. Where's the toys? Where's the happy meal tie-in for this? And I think that's you say about compromise, art and compromise. The more someone is giving you money to spend on something, the more you have to compromise. It's just the way it is. So if Luke Besson wanted to make his weird gender fluid, you know, message film about imperialism in the West, fine. But you can't do it. You can't take it to whoever paid for this film and say, I want 200 million, please. And then say, you're going to do this. Yeah. I mean, I, I, have heard other people say, like, how did this movie get made? Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, there's because, a documentary behind this I'd love to see. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. And But, I mean, I think, first of all, it's Luc Besson. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yes, he do, he has got a great track record. He, you know, is by far... Look, I mean, if you're going to do an ambitious um, 
blockbuster that you're going to throw 200 million at, you have a reason for doing it, right? I mean, this is this is predominantly European money. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a crack. We're going to invest our money and try to do that as you know uh, the small guys, and we're going to use a European subject matter, and we're going to use a European filmmaker, and we're going to you know go to the big table. Mm. Uh, the previous, uh, I mean, the previous most expensive, uh, European film was Asterix. And, and then before that, just a couple million less was, uh, the fifth element. Mm. So Luc Besson as sort of the French Spielberg, he's the guy to do it. He can do Taken. He knows, you know, he knows the international audience. It's going to be, we need some sort of sci-fi concept. All right. Well, this inspired Star Wars. Star Wars yeah. is a ripoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but, you know, it takes elements from many, many things. But this is one of them. This has that pedigree. We've got the director to do this. Um, it is un. It is the European pitch of doing this. And I can see how you can't imagine any other director doing this. And you would say, hey. We're, we've hitched our wagons to Luc Besson and especially in France there's more of a sort of like we were talking about like you know the comparison to Japan where there, there's more of an idea of like I have heard so many French directors and artists just been asked why would you do that and they said well that's what I thought of I thought it was an interesting idea if you don't like it go F yourself you know <laughs> Whereas it's just we don't have that attitude in the English speaking mm. world. So there's a little less of that. Uh, it's your money. You get to make those determinations. So I, I kind of get how this was done. I'm with you about, uh, about money and about more than that, about the fact that art doesn't work that way. And we all have to compromise. And I am so sick of people pretending otherwise or pretending like the artist is always right. Mm. Well, sometimes the artist is right. Sometimes the studio's right. It depends on the independent, the call that you're looking at. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was, I think the thing that upsets me most about the production, uh, besides that there needed to be more of a voice, an editor, right? There needed mm-hmm, to be mm-hmm. more of just somebody over Luc Besson's neck going, yeah, you need to trim this stuff. Maybe these casting choices don't make sense. Um, more than that, the thing that irritates me is interviews with Luc Besson after the fact, where he's just like, eh, I, I don't know why it didn't work, but let's talk about my next movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah. this was, I, love, I love France. I love French cinema. This was a great moment where we could have had French comics mm-hmm. get made for big money and the fact that it failed really upsets me. Uh, I understand some reasons why it failed, some reasons I don't. Um, but, you, you know, I, it upsets me that he wouldn't take a little more accountability. <clears throat> and I think that sort of seems to be the case, doesn't it? I mean, the, uh, the little research I did about that was very much like it was done and moved on. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to be doing something else. And, you know, I think he was, because he obviously produced a lot of films as well. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, it's 
it's one of those where he was like, yeah, I was doing that, that project. Oh, it's done, it's out. Okay, well, we'll see how it does. But at the moment, I'm producing, you know, I don't know, Taken 4 or I'm, I'm directing Lucy or I'm doing someone else. Like the, He had other things in the in the pipeline. Um, he's, he seems a bit like Guillermo del Toro in that way, doesn't he? He's sort of like, oh, I've made this thing and it's out. And now I'm onto something else. And it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's, it's okay, maybe it's a European sensibility or that sort of... Um, that work ethic, I don't know, but yeah, it's 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 a missed opportunity. That's another point. It's a, it's a missed opportunity because those comics, you know, like you said, we've talked about that uh, we've talked about Meta Barons on on Twentieth Century Geek, but you know, we one day we'll talk about Incal, and but then like I said, we we talked about Barbarella. That's based on a French comic. Valerian's a French comic. There's so many amazing science fiction French comics. Never going to see the light of day in a English speaking world because they missed the opportunity. Which is a real shame, really. Anyway, we're coming to time, and uh, so let's just let's just round up. So, what are your final thoughts then on uh, Valerian and the, the uh, city of a thousand planets? You know how you can't look away from a car crash. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I feel about this yeah. movie, and it is the most beautiful, idea-filled explosion of strawberries car crash I've uh, you know probably ever seen. It is a car crash. There's a lot that I really don't understand and dislike, but it is a beautiful, fantastic car crash. And I will, I, I think the those beginning bits, uh, some of those ending bits are, you could cut a version of this film that didn't make sense as a narrative, but that was maybe 45 minutes of just the most amazing footage you've ever seen. So it's a fascinating car crash. That's all, that's all I have to say. What about you? No, you're right. You say about the, the sections. If you were to take, all I want to do is take that section for Planet Mule, mm. begin to end, and just watch that as a short film. No explanation, just that. And it's wonderful. Like, it's amazing. Um, there are bits in this film that are great. Let's say the, 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 the highs are high-ish, but it's the lows. Like, there's so much in this film that should work better. And you do watch it and go, why doesn't this work? yet I watched so-and-so, and I'm willing to give that a go. The only thing I can keep coming back to is this film needs more heart. It needs something at the centre of it. And the fact of the matter is, this whole film is supposed to be about love. Like, they're supposed to... The, the, the sort of, like, the tipping point of the, the, this film is the relationship between Valerian and Loreline. Unfortunately, there is no relationship between... <laughs> Uh, Valerian and Loreline on screen and and so everything else starts to fall a bit flat and so everyone else is bringing their A game and, and, and doing their best and the visuals are stunning and some of the rest but those two just don't work in this film it's just one of the oddest casting choices I've ever seen but yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting watch I'm glad I've now watched all of it I don't know whether I'll go back to it um, but yeah but there you go. But that, that's that's the end of the season. So I'd five be stars. Yeah, <laughs> yes, ten out of ten. Um, as um, so, but next week, the next episode, we are going to be coming back to do a season review. So look back at the the films we've done uh, for this season and how we'd rank them uh, at ten. I suppose what we did last time. So we'll do this. We're ranking at ten, and then just a quick sort of discussion of how we think you know the season's gone. And then we'll probably get we'll give a proper um, 
intro as well to what we're going to be doing for our bonus in mid or inter-season episodes as well. So we've got some cool stuff coming up as well. But yeah, we did it. Just, we did it. It's just, yeah, it's it's been it's been good. Actually, I've really enjoyed some of the stuff we've covered on this season. Um, and I know that there's a couple of people that have been watching along with us. And uh, uh, you know, I know as of the recording of this, it sounds weird, but the last episode that went out was uh, um, Mars Attacks, and people have had some interesting views on it. So please keep getting in contact with us. Let us know what you think. Let us know. As you watch the films, do you love them or do you hate them? Find us on Twitter at Pod Time Space. Uh, and just let us know. What, you know, Do you agree with what we've had to say then about Valerian? Uh, was it good? Did you watch it? Did you miss it? But also for next week, for the next episode, before this comes out, give us your listing. Give us your ranking of what you think the films were in, all this, in this, uh, this franchise. Or sorry, in the films in this season. What were your thoughts? And what's your ranking? Out of 10 for each of them. I'll be fascinated to know. Amen. Oh, yeah. Sounds great. I'd love to see that. Yeah. So, Julian, thank you, as always been a blast yeah it's been a fantastic season and we'll uh wrap it up we'll give our final thoughts and move on yeah so we'll see how it goes next week thank you ladies and gentlemen we'll see you again soon streams.